You're listening to the Keep Writing Podcast, a resource for Christians who want to write their first book and then more so that they can lead their readers into true spiritual freedom while at the same time leading their families into true financial freedom. I'm Mika Maples. Today, I want you to hear a fantastic story, a good report from a Christian who didn't expect to meet Jesus when she did. Shannon Vandiver calls her testimony a good report of God's faithfulness, and truly, I can't think of a better term for it. She is writing a book about how he brought her from times of total darkness into the light, knowing Jesus as her Savior and the faithfulness of a life that is built on Christ looks like the goodness she thought wasn't even possible. Listen in, and you'll hear her tell her good report in her own words. This is episode 91. If you hear the Lord, respond. What stage is your book in right now? It is two thirds finished. So it is broken up into three parts. There's seven chapters in each part. The three parts of the book are about rebellion, the rebellion that I was in, and then the repentance, and then the redemption, which mm-hmm. is whenever I got born again. But the rebellion part was this, was pretty hard for me to write and go through because I hadn't quite thought through some of those times in my life since they happened. Mm-hmm. I just kind of like chugged along and just kept going and kept going. And so there are things that were then that needed to be healed first before I could fully even write about it. Will you share a little bit, now that you've shared that there's three parts to your book, Rebellion, Repentance, and Redemption, will will you share a little bit about your personal background? At 18, I declared myself a a neo-pagan. I just adopted paganism and I was all for it. I loved anything to do with uh, just hidden knowledge and um, just trying to make yourself become like God and have that divine spark inside of you and connect yourself to, you know, the cosmos. So I got really, really deep into that. And, but all this time I I had major issues with anxiety and depression. I was diagnosed bipolar um, at age 16 and it was, it was just very hard emotionally for me growing up. And it was all, but I always uh, numbed myself. At first, it was pharmaceuticals until I was 18, and I was like, I'm done with this. And then I started doing hardcore drugs, or I had done them when I was younger, but then I did them every day after I turned 18. And I just. And when you say hardcore drugs, I would say that I smoked, I smoked pot every day. Um, but I also, I did, I did pills like for fun. I would, I would just take big pain medicine or, or 
or mushrooms or acid and uh, ecstasy, but uh, it was really ecstasy that was my favorite. And at 24, uh, I got arrested for it. I got arrested for ecstasy and marijuana. And so I got a felony and a, uh, a misdemeanor for them, which was really hard to go through. But, you know, and this is where the book starts at me, me standing in front of the judge after I had gotten arrested, just wishing that I knew I deserved it but just wishing that someone else would come and take my charges for me. Like, please, please don't, no, <laughs> please don't charge me with this, you know? And so, but I accepted it right away. I was like, I know I'm guilty. I've done drugs for so long. It's about time that I got caught. And I, I did, I got caught. And so the ramp up of anxiety and depression that that sent me into along with going into a new relationship at that time, um, who is now my husband, but um, it, it sent me into a really, really dark place to where I ended up getting on a probation for first time offenders and I got it all off my record. But that was after just a pent up panic and depression from all of that about six months after I got arrested. Um, I, I mean, I quit, I quit eating, I quit drinking water. I, I was very sick and I had been in that place before, but, um, after this, whenever it was time to go on probation, I, and I was told, Hey, you need to get sober completely. You're about to be on probation. Um, and I, I panicked and I, um, I passed out one day and I broke my jaw. And I, when I woke up, I just thought, oh, 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 no, because I spit out teeth and I was being told that they could see my, that my friend could see my jawbone. What happened next? Your friend? Had yeah, my friend, was, he, I was in shock for sure. I, I just woke up and I knew that I should have hurt more, but I didn't know the extent of everything at that moment, but I was in shock. And I just knew I was soaking wet because it had been raining all of that day. And so my friend helped me change. And then he drove me to the hospital because I didn't want them to ask me just a bunch of questions that I got asked anyways. When I got to the hospital, the surgeon talked to me and they kept on asking me the same questions. They were like, are you on drugs? Are you this? Are you that? Are you that? And I was just like, no, I'm not. Like, stop asking me. And so uh, then they knew I was lying. And they were like, okay, you need to come back to the hospital in a couple of days and uh, we will, we'll talk to you again then. And we had to set you up for surgery because you need surgery on your jaw. Whenever I had gotten to the oral surgeon appointment, when I had went back, he, he had looked me in the face and he was just like, with as much like compassion as he, as he said, he's like, uh, how often do you eat? And when was the last time you did eat an actual meal? And he asked me all these questions and I was calm enough. I wasn't in shock anymore. I had, you know, been able to tell my grandparents what happened to my parents, what had happened and stuff like that, that I had thought about it. And I was just like, you know, you're right. 
I, I don't ever feed myself. Uh, I don't take care of myself. I don't drink water. I just am so fixated on functioning, making money so I can spend that on the drugs that I needed and wanted and stuff before you had a I had job at the time. Yeah, job. I did. I had two jobs actually. I had a full-time job. Um, I worked more than full-time actually. I um, worked at a coffee shop and then I also worked for a family. I took care of their children. Mm-hmm. I did. And I, I love those children, but it was, it was a lot of work I, that I did. I, I find it fascinating that um, to hear this part of the story, like this side of, of, of your life at that time was, it was so much involved with drugs and not even eating. And um, I happened to have known you at that time. I was oblivious to it. You just seemed like a wonderful, nice girl in a coffee shop. And mm-hmm. I think what is fascinating is that people who don't have any experience in their lives with drugs that that would be me I don't have any experience with it so my assumption was always that oh that's probably something that I would recognize in someone and I never did and you had this whole life I mean you had were this happy friendly wonderful person that I would see every now and then at this coffee shop but the the other side of your life there was a lot of misery and it didn't even show. Mm, yeah. I would say part of it would be that whenever I was at the shop, I was in my happy place per se of serving people. I, I loved making coffee. I loved uh, drinking coffee. I loved talking to people about coffee. And um, I just, I guess I connected with people's happiness as well. I was just liked giving them something, a cup of happy, you know, here's your coffee. You're like, Oh, it's beautiful. Thank you so much. And I'm like, Oh, you're welcome. And yeah, a lot of people, actually almost everybody, my boss knew to some extent, uh, what was going on, but nobody else did. I, I didn't talk to anybody about it. I didn't, um, I didn't talk to anybody about it. I wrote it down in journals. That was it. Did it seem to, did it seem like you were living two lives or did, did it, did it make sense to you at the time? I would say, yes, I knew it because I knew that if the family that I worked for found out or anything like that, even that I had smoked cigarettes, like, cause I was also addicted to cigarettes since I was 17 um, if I knew that they even found out that I smoked cigarettes, I could, thought I could be fired, you know, from taking care of their kids. So I just was always made sure that I had that facade of, you know, I'm a good girl. I'm responsible. I got here on time, but mm-hmm. some people saw through it. Some people did. After this major injury, mm-hmm. Um, did that routine change? So the thing is with the injury, it too, is that it came about a month and a half before I started probation to where I was not able to touch drugs, be around drugs, be around anybody who did drugs 
and I was drug tested monthly. And then at the very end with hair test, which goes back a few months. And so I knew that it was the end. And I mean, there are some people who will say, wait a second, what about your teeth? Because part of this, the description was that you had spit out teeth. Mm-hmm. How many, how many teeth did you lose? In all, I had 11 teeth taken out mm. and it was, uh, it was a lot. So almost the top row of my mouth, except for, I think five or six teeth. And then, yeah, every, every tooth on the bottom row needed to be repaired in some way. Mm-hmm. Now you have, um, dental work, so you can't even tell at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also got a, a metal plate put in my jaw as okay. well to stabilize my, my lower jaw to mm-hmm. put it back together, mm-hmm. essentially. Well, your smile is beautiful. You're beautiful. So we're so thankful that you were able to get the treatment that you needed because uh, that injury is, that's astonishing to think about how much changed in one instant. Right. So you're, you're facing this new life of, okay, I'm just going to have to be drug free. Um, Mm -hmm. What happened next? A new adventure, I would say. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you you had at the time you were in this uh, belief of neo-paganism is what Mm -hmm. you described and your boyfriend, where was he with belief? It was in the same genre of new age. Um, I called myself a pagan, a neo-pagan, which was a, a new, I guess you could call it a new age pagan. Um, not like a pagan that you hear about thousands of years ago, but one that was more into science, if you could say that. Mm-hmm. And then he was very deep into that type of stuff, like um, new age, sacred geometry. We were into occult stuff. Uh, I did some witchcraft. Like I was kind of jumbled into one package of what I called paganism. And so we had similar beliefs, but it's a broad spectrum in that field, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But neither one had a, had a reference point for Christ at the time. Neither one of you had an interest or. A uh, funny thing. We both grew up in households that were not Christian. Um, his uh, aunt who had raised him was very anti-establishment in that area. And so was my father. And um, so we grew up in those strict that's not what we are and but whenever he was 16 uh I I had learned after I broke my jaw and I was reading like a little children's bible to uh the girl that I was taking care of I was like hey Daniel's in the bible and I messaged him and I was like hey did you know Daniel is in the bible your name's from the bible and he was like yeah I was like oh okay so you've read the bible and he said, well, when I was 16, I uh, got baptized and um, I worshiped God and I went to church for a little bit. And I was like, ew, 
you know, <laughs> gross. I had vowed that I had, would never date someone who was a Christian, who is a Christian, because I just thought that we wouldn't like go together well. But I found that out. I was like, ew, you, you know, so he kind of had a basis of what things were, but he wasn't born again at that point. He was kind of just converted, mm. you know, but he, he fell away after a year or so because he wasn't born again. And so he, he got very deep into new age and that type of stuff. So. So that's a pretty good picture of the part one rebellion part. Yes. Sorry. Um, how did the repentance start? The repentance started whenever I, I got off probation and I just went back deep into depression again and the anxiety and the panic that I always just felt and I was living with my boyfriend and we just weren't getting along at that point. And, um, at work, it was very stressful in that environment. And I was just not happy. I was not happy at all. And I just said, something is not working. Something's not right. All of this self-help with, um, I was obsessed with psychology in like Carl Jung philosophy and Enneagram stuff. I was obsessed. And after years and years and years of research, it still wouldn't help me. And I, I just was sick. So I quit my job. I, I quit, I quit working at the coffee shop and um, I was just like, I'm going to go home and do nothing. And so after about two weeks of doing nothing, and just sitting on my couch smoking weed, I was just like, oh my, this is bad. I'm so bored and tired all the time and depressed. And I thought quitting my job would make this better. And it didn't. One of my friends from the coffee shop had left and he, he went to go backpack in Washington. And I watched one of his updates um, that he did for a video recording for you know social media. Uh, he just was talking about feeling refreshed from reading the word and what, what great joy came from reading the word again, just being filled with the word. And he kept on saying that the word, and I was just like, what is the word? What are you reading? You know, what is giving you so much joy again? And uh, eventually he just like held up his Bible and he, and I was like, Oh, Okay. And then I remembered I had been given one two years prior by some other customers at work at the coffee shop. And little did I know they were praying for me always after they had given me that Bible, but I opened it that day. And I was just like, whoa, this is a lot of information. Where do I start? And I did not know where to start at all. I was confused by what was, I tried to read Genesis once and I fell asleep within two chapters. It's like, this is boring. And I, cause even the, the, the my customers at the coffee shop, they were like, no, start in John, start in John. And I said, okay, I didn't know who John was. And I didn't know what any of the books 
or what the Old Testament, the New Testament was and stuff. And so I flipped through it and then I found something and it said the book of Romans. And I said, hmm, well, Romans were pagan. I'm pagan. Maybe this is for me. And I started there. I started in the book of Romans. It was the first book in the Bible that I read. And obviously, like I did not, a lot of it went like over my head. But those first, like foundational first, second, and third chapters opened my eyes, just opened them. And I, and I got to the points where in, you know, Romans one and he's, or Romans two, and they're talking about the righteousness of God and no one's righteous. And we um, all deserve just the wrath of God. And I just felt so guilty. I said, you, this person who's writing this, they're right. They're right. I feel guilty. I know this. And even in chapter one, where it says, everybody has the inherent knowledge of God inside of them. And, and, um, but you can be given over to a depraved mind to not acknowledge God and to worship uh, images of mortal man and, and animals instead. And I just realized that that's what I had been doing. It's like, whoa, this, this book knows what I've been doing. And I was just amazed. And I kept on writing and I said, okay, well, what's the answer? What's the answer to this, not me not being like that anymore? And it kept on saying about the righteousness of God. You need the righteousness of God. But then it said, that you needed the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I was just like, Ugh, Jesus again, you know, we just got back into that. And it just says, you know, Jesus is the truth of, of righteousness. And I just was like, I need to do more research, you know, outside of this <laughs> because, uh, I'm not ready for this because if this is real, if this is true, my entire life will change. My entire life. And I wasn't ready at that point. And so I set that aside. I was like, Oof, that's a lot of information. I set that aside. And um, I, I just picked back up and research of, but now researching who Jesus is. Um, and outside sources of, um, and I hadn't even been fully convinced that Satan was real at this point, because whenever I was 18 and I you had to say, not, you were not, convinced. no, I, I was not convinced that Satan was real only because whenever I was 18, I had, um, researched Satanism before I became a pagan. And I just read their like their their Ten Commandments, they call it, or whatever they go by. And it just was like, whoa, this is super hedonistic. Like I was not into like just outwardly saying I'm I'm a hedonist. I was into being a closet hedonist, I guess. You know, just only caring about myself and what I want. And I just didn't want anybody else to know that. Obviously, if, if you didn't know and you knew me, <laughs> right? So, um, yeah, I just wrote off Satanism because in Satanism, you also have to believe in 
Jesus. Um, you know, and Satanism comes, also have to believe in Jesus. Right. It, it comes from that religion. Like you have to have that. I wouldn't say it's an offset, but it comes from that story. Lucifer comes from, or Lucifer worship or Satanism and stuff like that. It comes from the Bible, but you know, other texts were written and so on. But I just was like, I was uncomfortable with believing in Jesus as an 18 year old. And I just wrote it all off. I was like, and none of it's real. I'm just not going to believe in any of it. Uh, I did acknowledge that demons existed. Um, I knew I had seen one as a child and it was very real. As my 20, you know, six-year-old doing research and everything, I just wasn't convinced still that Satan was real until I came across videos of actually what Satanists do or worship. Some of them, not all of them are like this. Uh, what they do and what, how it mixes in with witchcraft and, and even mind controlling people and everything. I just got really deep into this, to that rabbit hole. And I was just like, uh, my eyes were open to the wickedness, like the actual wickedness of the world. Um, I was shocked, shocked awake that people were this evil to, to people and to children. And, um, I was, my eyes were open to, to human trafficking and all of that stuff. And I was just literally shocked awake. And I just accepted. I was like, Oh my gosh, Satan is real. And then I came across a video. I said, the greatest lie that Satan ever told was that he didn't exist. And I was just like, okay, that's it. Jesus must be real too. And, and I just was dumbfounded. I didn't know where to, to go from there. And so uh, it was a lot of just back and forth of if, if I believe this, every, it means everything I believed was a lie. Everything that I had told myself for decades was a lie. Um, it was all a lie. And it was actually from Satan. It wasn't just because I wanted to believe in it. He lied to me. And I had messaged my boss at the coffee shop. And I have a screenshot of this message. And I said, I said that I was scared to accept Jesus because I knew that if I did, uh, my entire life would change. My entire life. And he, he told me so sweetly, he said, now that you have this faith, because he's a Christian, he's from Jordan, uh, he owned the coffee shop, and he was just very excited for me. He's like, now that you have this faith, you ask Jesus um, to, to show you him, to, to heal you of something, to show you, and he will. And I was just like, okay. You know, and I chose the one thing that I didn't really want to give up, which was, I was like, I knew I had to quit doing drugs. I knew I had to quit smoking pot and all this stuff. But I was like, all right, Jesus, if you're real, I'll give you my life. If you can help me quit smoking cigarettes. 
And I was like, that's a that's hard task. We'll see if that happens, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was, in, that was in August, three years ago. And um, I, I asked Jesus for that task. And, you know, life, life went on. I had had the conversation with my boyfriend at that point that um, when I realized that Jesus was the truth, I was still reading around in the Bible and stuff and just looking at things and looking up information. And uh, I, one day I was reading it and I just came across something that said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It's in Proverbs. And I was just like, what is the fear of the Lord? What is that? And, uh, you know, because I had been shown what it is scary outside in the world by what Satan's doing. But I was like, why, if God loves me, like, why should I be scared? But then I got this like idea in my head that like from Romans, that we all deserve death. We all deserve it. Everybody, no one is righteous. We are all sinners. We all deserve to go to hell. No matter like, um, no matter what little thing you've done, what big thing you've done and everything. And I remember just realizing this and I was shocked. And I was kind of scared and I was just like stricken with that. And I was like, oh no, I deserve to die and go to hell forever. I've been so bad and wicked in God's eyes that I, I deserve it. I'm guilty. But then I was just thinking, I said, you know, wait, isn't this what Jesus did? Isn't this why he died. He died for sins. Like I had been told that before I had even watched passion of the Christ when it came out when I was 12, but I didn't know how it correlated. I didn't know exactly how it correlated, but I knew that God had the power, only power to send me eternally somewhere to be in torture, to be away from him for the rest of eternity. And so I just struggled with that acceptance of Jesus at first um, because I knew my life would change. I would have to denounce paganism. I would have to get rid of over 50% of my belongings of just all the idols in my house all the statues, all the posters, all of the drug paraphernalia, all my books, um, everything. And I just, I knew it like deep down that if I served God in the way that he wanted me to, I would have to get rid of it all. And then it just started with just conviction after conviction, after conviction of, of reading of what God wants, how God wants us to live in the Bible. And the first was, was fornication and um, obviously because I'd been living with Daniel for three years at that point. And um, yeah, that was the first conviction as sexual immorality 
more like on drugs, being sober minded. Um, and then I got to the point, um, I believe in Corinthians, first Corinthians, it talks about, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy spirit and that you were bought at a price. Um, and I mean, the price is Jesus's blood. And so I, I realized that and I was like, oh, God lives in me. He wants to live in me and my body is his temple. But when I read that and I realized it, I went outside, I took my little tin of cigarettes, um, butts, and it was like, I was compelled to go and throw it in the trash. I just went and threw it, in, threw it in the trash, in the dumpster. And that was it. I was like, I'm done. I'm done smoking cigarettes. And I was delivered of it. Wow. And then I realized, wow, that's the thing I asked Jesus to do. That is what I asked Jesus to do. And I never thought in 100 years, in 30 years, I, in 10 years, I would be actually be delivered of smoking cigarettes and it would be gone. And I did. And then, and then looking back, I knew that that's whenever I was born again. I knew that that was the time, that time, because I just felt on fire. Um, I was hungry for information, for the truth, for the knowledge, for seeking who God is. I was very hungry and I was determined to find out. And um, I just... And that was the whole thing. The, the, one of the first things I was convicted of was the fornication. And I had come to, to Daniel and I said, we went camping like we always did. So I brought the Bible with us and I asked him to just give me somewhere random to read. Um, and what he randomly had me flip to was, I, I think it was first Corinthians in seven, but it was talking about uh, being married. And it's just what he randomly said. He'd never read any really of the Bible before. And um, that's just what he thought of. And then I just looked up at him and I said, dude, this is about marriage. And I think that this is something that the Lord is telling us that we either need to not be apart or we need to be apart or we need to be married together because that's what God wants. That's what God, he wants us to be married. He, he ordained um, relations to be in a marriage. And so I just was feeling so, I, I, I thought I was just guilty, but now I know it was convicted of it. And we knew that we needed to be married. And so we got engaged in November and I had like, completely given up smoking cigarettes at this point. I was free from it. Um, and in this time I had been delivered of my anxiety, my depression, my bipolar. I didn't have these like crazy anxious thoughts anymore or panic or terror or anything like that. I was just set free. I was set free. And then I said, hey, you know, before we get married, we need to be baptized. 
and I would really, really love to be baptized. And so funny thing, the chef that I worked for, our old manager at, at the restaurant left to be a pastor. And I had no idea what that meant. I just thought, I was like, Hey, he can marry us. Like we know someone who can marry us. And, um, he came and he, I was like, Hey, can you, can you please baptize us like before? And, um, so we got baptized a week before our wedding and as the Lord does and is faithful to redeem things, I was baptized on the day, three years after I broke my jaw on the day. And so, yeah, it was really awesome when I realized that, that the Lord just redeemed that day. It was no longer the day I broke my jaw. It was the day that I dedicated my life to Jesus for the rest of my life. And he redeemed it instead of remembering horrible things. So, yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, there's so many details, even more <laughs> of the story that I wish we could ask about, but I mean, as it is right now, um, it's already a long story because God has done so much. What a good report you yeah, have was- to tell. Um, so I have to I have to draw this back to writing for a moment. So let's talk about our relationship. How did you how do you know me? And why did you reach out to me? Yes. So um like we had mentioned before, I met you at at the coffee shop that I worked at. You were my first customer Wednesday mornings at 5 a.m. You and Becky. And um <laughs> So yeah, every, and here's the thing we had, Becky and I had already been meeting every, every Wednesday morning for a long time at a Starbucks. I mean, maybe even a year or two years at that point. And, um, I don't, I think we said, Hey, let's try this other, you know, like, um, local family coffee shop that's on the corner and see what that's like. And in that coffee shop, we were the only ones every morning where Starbucks had, you know, sometimes we couldn't find a comfortable seat. This Mm -hmm. one, we were the only ones. And we were like, Liala, let's do this. And you were there every Wednesday. Uh So we started just loving seeing you and oh, did you love what Shannon was wearing? Because you wore you such cute clothes. And we would say, oh, she looks so cute this time. Or we would, you, we considered you a friend and looked yeah. forward to seeing you on Wednesday mornings and just chatting with you. So um, this was in the period before. Um, breaking my jaw. Before breaking your jaw. Right. right. So let's pick it up right there. And then I obviously was missing for six weeks after I broke my jaw. And uh, whenever I had gotten back, you you asked me what happened. And I had just given shallow answers to people at this point. I wasn't, I didn't want to talk about it. Um, I just said, I broke my jaw. And you were like, oh, how did that happen? And I just said, I just fell and I just kept it at that. 
And you know how like I have the the gift of just like just being very straight. I just fell. And you're like, okay. And I was like, okay, bye. <laughs> so, so I, want to talk I, about I, love, I want to talk about like our differing perspectives because I truly believe this is going to be um, a blessing to a Christian who doesn't know what to say or do sometimes and doesn't know if they hear from the Lord or, or not. Or um, So on my end of things, when you walked up that morning after having been missing for like just absent, not there for weeks, um, I noticed you had some missing teeth. And so I just said, what happened? And then when you just said, oh, I fell immediately, I heard the Lord said, say, don't believe her. Mm-hmm. You said, I just fell. That's what it was. You said, I just fell. And the Lord right. said, don't believe her. So when you said, okay, bye. And you walked away. I just thought, what do I do? <laughs> right. Yeah, it was probably, I, yeah, I wasn't ready to, to talk to people about it at all. I was just still coming to terms with, I had really bad um, problem with anorexia, like eating that I was just completely unaware of. And I was kind of ashamed that I let myself get that sick and um, just, I wasn't ready to talk about it. And then I just obviously got asked by so many people, where have you been? Cause everybody knew who I was at the shop. And I just got asked that hundreds of times, honestly. And I, I said the same thing, I fell. And I wasn't ready to talk about it. And so after that, I think a week, a week or so later after you had asked me, I kind of like, you know, avoided <laughs> the, whole, the whole situation. And, but you came up to me once after avoiding you and I took your drink order. And I remember you just handing me a note. And I was like, okay, thank you. Yeah. But I, I read it later and it had said, um, it said, I don't believe you that you just fell with like quotation marks about around just fell. So if you would like someone to talk to about it, I'm here for you. But if not, just pretend I never gave you this note. And I like water, like folded it up, put it in my pocket and was just like, okay, I don't feel like it. <laughs> and so, but I apparently kept the letter um, because I, I hadn't really talked to you afterwards. I kind of always like avoided you, but I didn't like remember after so many months why I avoided you. And then uh, I, this year, this year I was looking through. Well, you, you also um, ended up leaving the coffee shop and, and I was continuing to go and we never talked to each other again after that note, really. Right. Yeah, I did. Okay. So that does make more sense in the timeline. I did leave the shop and that's whenever I started. That's the time that I started my research. Right. Right. I did end up going oh, back. I, I want to say uh, uh, my perspective of that moment, because this is what I think will, will be helpful to people. 
I mm-hmm. felt like a failure. Like mm-hmm. I felt, I thought I had heard from the Lord, don't believe her that she just fell. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, what do I do? I prayed about it. I kind of, I, I felt peace about writing a note because I thought, you don't want to confront someone, put someone on the spot. Do you need help? You know, I just thought, I'm going to give her a second to see it on her own. And so I wrote that little note. I passed it with you. I like I specifically brought money on purpose that morning instead of playing with my debit card because I was like, I want to hand her the bill with the note and she doesn't have, <laughs> she doesn't have to like hand anything back. I want it to be very smooth. And I saw you take the note and put it in your apron. And then within a few weeks, I never saw you again. And I thought, I must not have heard from the Lord. I mm. must be some kind of failure. Maybe I should have said to her, uh, let's talk. I should have maybe talked to her. I think maybe, maybe she's not in trouble. Maybe she did just fall. I, I, I questioned myself. And then five years passed. Five, right. three, yeah, five. Mm. Yes, oh, five years, five years. Five years. And for five years, <laughs> I have been teaching people whenever they would ask, how do I know if they hear from the Lord? And I would say over and over again, I would reference this story and I would say, here's the thing. We don't always get to know the outcome. When we take an action based on something that we've heard from the Lord, we don't always get to know the outcome. I was expecting that you would be like, oh yeah, I'm going to give her a call tonight. (laughs) Right. And that I was going to hear from you and be like, oh, now I figured out what's happening. I'm going to help her. I mean, I went after I handed you that note, I immediately went to my church and I started saying, okay, this woman who's in an abusive situation is going to call me soon. So help me know how I can give her resources, how we can help her. And I kept waiting for that call that never came. And mm-hmm. well, and I was misunderstanding the injury that I was seeing. You didn't just fall. So the Lord was telling me that, but I didn't know what that meant that you didn't just fall. Right. So I want people to hear when, when you're tempted to think somehow you messed something up. No, you planted a seed and you just wait because there were so many other people in your life during that time. Right. Also planting seeds, also watering on the seed. Um, mm-hmm. you know, this boss, that boss, this person who gave you a Bible, that person who told you they were praying for you. It was happening constantly in your life. Right. And that the time. So, yeah, you, you, you had the seed that was planted and then the time had to come and, and pass for the harvest to come. So whenever that started to happen, it was this, this year in April, I believe I was looking through my sentimental things, which I have a, just a box of sentimental things like cards and everything that people have given me. And I was just reading through it all to see what I could get rid of and all of that stuff. But I came across the note. I came across the note and I just was, I was in tears. And I said, wow, out of this entire box, of things that I had been given my entire life. This was the most real and kind note that I had ever been given. That was the most concerning note. Not just like, hope you feel better soon and you know, all that stuff. But it was like, if you want to talk about this, I'm here for you. And I was like, 
ready. You know, and I said, Nika has no idea what I've been through. Um, she has no idea that I got born again and saved and I got married and have a son. And I'm just, you know, not the just fall girl anymore. And so, and I'm, and I'm sure she'd want to know what happened. And so I um, looked you up on, uh, on Facebook, actually. And I came across your page and I said, oh, she's an author. Is that what she, that's what she does? That's cool. And I, I messaged you and I just didn't know whether I was going to hear from you, when I was going to hear from you. And I just told you that I found your notes and I wondered if you were, wondered if you remembered me and if you wanted to hear the story of what happened, actually. <laughs> You know, I was like, you're right. I didn't just fall. You were, you were reaching out to me really too, because you were like this book that God has put in my heart. Maybe she can help me. Right. Yeah. I had, whenever I had did more digging, I guess, into your page, I realized that you not only were an author, but you had a class that helped people write their books. And I just thought about it and I said, wow, this this is really random, but I had like learned that God didn't do random things right. and God didn't do random things. He did things on purpose. And so I just had that sense that God was doing something with our meeting. And I, it was to the very end of my testimony when I was telling you about it and everything, whenever we were meeting and I said, oh Yeah. And the Lord gave me an assignment in a dream. And I told you the dream. And I said, he told me, he told me to write a book, a good report of my testimony, what he's done in my life. And you were like, oh, I can help you with that. I want to help you with that. And I was <laughs> like, that's so great because I, I thought because, you know, the Lord told me what to do and how to do it and specifically what to write. I just thought I was just going to write a book, but then you offered the, the class to me and I was just like, yes, like I want to take this class. I want to start. I want to do this. Mm -hmm. And you became my mentor in it and my teacher. And it was the Lord's grace giving me what I needed at the time that I needed to to start what you know a, a lot of christians may be sensing that the lord is prompting them to write a good report also um every day i meet people who don't feel worthy to of the task of writing they don't feel qualified to write um what advice do you have for Christians who are thinking about writing a book for the first time? I see the advice that I would give to people who feel called and led would be that the Lord told me in Romans that Romans 2 11, that God shows no favoritism. God shows no partiality to any persons. We're all the same. We're all his children. And so that means what he has called 
know what to do. Noah did it greatly because of the faith that he had in God. What he called Moses to do, it was accounted to him as righteousness because of the faith that he had in God telling him to do it. And what I know what the Lord has told me to do specifically in writing a book, I put the faith in that. And I just waited. I didn't know what I was waiting for, but I was waiting for the grace. Um, specifically in the wait time for that the seed had been planted for the Lord telling me that this is what I was to do. I was in the time of the waiting and I was harvesting. I was waiting for that, for that grace to come across for a teacher to help me in it. And um, it, it was really awesome how it all worked out and played out. And it's just exploded with really hearing the Lord of what he wants me to write, what times he wants me to write. Um, and so the advice I would say is that the Lord has a plan for everybody. And if you feel led to write on a specific topic, then listen to it and don't let Satan steal that seed. Uh, don't, don't think that you're not worth anything because we're all not worth it. But because of what Jesus has done for us and we put our faith in that, we are counted as to righteousness for God. We are God's righteousness. And so he has great plans for you. He wants to prosper you. He wants to give you a future and your and hope. And so I just think about that every time that Satan tries to come and steal, steal that my joy about it, my peace about it and anything. I'm like, no, you, you, you can't take away that. I will not let you steal that from me. Uh, it's, it's already just so ingrained into my heart that that's what God wants me to do. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, if you hear the Lord, uh, respond, respond mm -hmm. to it in faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's the perfect way to end this interview. If you hear the Lord respond. Yeah. So. I want to say to everyone, um, if the Lord ever prompts you to read a specific book in the Bible, you heard how many times that Shannon said she just sort of felt drawn to this book of the Bible or that book of the Bible. And when the Lord pr prompts you, respond, go read what he tells you to read. Mm -hmm. The Lord tells you, to, to go talk to someone, Ooh. respond, go talk to them. When the Lord tells you to make a big move, like getting married when you're not married, like giving up cigarettes when you think that that's impossible, no matter what he prompts you to do, respond. And mm -hmm. with all of those things that are difficult, you had grace Mm -hmm. to carry out those responses. How much more will the Lord give grace to the person who hears him prompt them to write? It's not about your ability, mm. experience. Respond 
when he prompts and he, he brings the increase. He's the Lord of the harvest. Mm-hmm. Hey there, did you know that your vocation is what you're paid to do, but your calling is what you're made to do? If you're ready to step into your calling, let's go. God is advancing the kingdom through Christian books. He has given everyone a spiritual gift, and it may be that one way you can exercise your spiritual gift of prophecy, teaching, exhortation, service, giving, organization, or mercy is by writing a book that will bless other believers and go places that you cannot go yourself. If you don't know how to write a book, put yourself under the mentoring of an experienced Christian author who will pray for and guide you. That's me. Join the Keep Writing course, an all-in-one online experience that I've created to take you through the process of finishing, publishing, and marketing your amazing book. Inside, I offer step-by-step lessons and weekly biblical coaching live. Together, we'll solve any problem you face in the name of Jesus. There's simply nothing else like this anywhere. So if you're ready to join us, go to nikamaples.com and click on the Keep Writing course. Get started today.